will be there for the next five weeks. Genesis, the easiest book in the Bible to find, right past the table of contents. I don't know how that works on your iPhone or your iPad, but uh, at any rate. I'm going to be bringing to you a series of messages, five in total, from the life of Joseph. From the life of Joseph. Joseph is a rich character in Scripture. He starts, his story starts very young, as far as what's recorded in the Scripture, as as a boy of 17, a young man of 17. So a lot of his life lessons can be very appropriately given to 17-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 25-year-olds, and the like. So I'm going to just tell those of you that fall into that age bracket to take a special notice of these life lessons, because Joseph walked through these as a very, very young man. And he learned some really valuable lessons. Some of those lessons were not realized till he turned age 30. And the fruition or the culmination of everything that he had experienced came to be. But the life of Joseph is a wonderful picture for us of, of life. And things that happen within our life, and more importantly, the things that we can gain as lessons, as heart lessons for us um, in our lives. And those, my friend, are not particular to a certain age bracket, because lessons in life come to us at varying ages and at varying degrees. And we can learn a lot from Joseph, both what he did right and what he didn't do so right. But we're going to talk about the tests, or what I'm going to call them, the detours, the seeming detours in Joseph's life that really meant something in God's mind, really did something in Joseph's life to build him, to develop his character, to to prepare him for the future, a future that only God knew and God was only willing to reveal a snippet of through a dream. Well, we are uh, in orange barrel season, and you only have to drive to the corner of Graham and Hudson. I don't know. I avoid that intersection at all costs, almost. And either way that you go um, is is a pathway from here to home for me. But uh, we are in this extended season, and every time we come through that intersection, we know. And let me just give you a little tip. They're just going to finish things up in October, shut things down, and then start again in the spring. So if you think things are finished at that corner, you know, it'll be finished for the snow. And then once the snow thaws, they'll be back at it uh, all the way down Graham Road. Sorry to bring you such good news this morning about traffic, but detours. Detours. We run into them. It was a few weeks ago that I got a phone call, and uh, I knew that I needed, on a Friday afternoon, to get to Mansfield, Ohio. Now, how many of you know where Mansfield is? And Bencourt, you better raise your hand. Your parents live not too far from there, so. And I needed to get to Mansfield. I needed to get there by by 4.30 when the office closed. It was about 2 o'clock at the time, and I realized I better get myself in motion because I've got to get to Mansfield by 4.30 when this office closes. And so about 3 o'clock, I left for this 60 to 80-minute drive going down 71 South, getting off, hitting 13, right, Ben? Hitting, hitting the exit there, hitting, hitting Route 13 and going on into the booming metropolis of Mansfield. 
And as I was getting off the expressway or the highway and I was just doing really well with time, I thought, oh, this is going to be a breeze because I'm headed right into town and that's where I have to go and not a big deal. And I'm heading down Route 13 and I see this big orange sign, detour with an arrow. How inconvenient. Didn't these road workers know that I was needing to head straight down 13 and get there in a timely fashion. What is this detour sign? Detours are inconvenient. And you know, I'm not familiar with Mansfield, so I don't know where this sign is going to route me to. I don't know where I'm going, and I don't know if it's even going to dump me back onto 13 at a place where I can find my destination very well. And you ask yourself this question, maybe you've asked it of your, of your driving and of your detour experiences, you know, is, is this really unnecessary? I mean, what are they doing here that's so necessary to redirect the traffic? This seems so opposite of my destination because they took me off of Route 13, which is a decent road, and here I am. I'm just, I'm just driving through, you know, potholes and across railroad tracks and through neighborhoods, and I'm just way off into some, and I just keep looking for this detour. Please, there needs to be a detour sign. If I lose track of the detour sign, I'm finished. I'm done. I might as well just follow the breadcrumbs back to 71 and go north. Just forget it. Sometimes detours are like that in life. They just seem so opposite of the direction that we're intending to head, and they take extra time. Fortunately, to end the story, I arrived about 4.26 and was able to enter and, and get done what I needed to do. My friend, you don't have to live life for very long to know that life has detours. Now, let me encourage you today because not only is God's hand on your destination and on your journey, God's hand is on your detour. God's hand is just as heavy and as just as involved in the detour as it is on the journey. Let's look at Joseph, chapter 37 of Genesis. Chapter 37 through 50 are going to probably detail 13 years of Joseph's life between ages 17 and age 30. We want to pull out some truths about Joseph here as we get started. First of all, if you'll go down to verses 6, 7, and 8, and then also 9, we're going to see what took place for Joseph. Verse 6, he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Verse 9, then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Quite a dream. Think about your own family, a sibling of yours, calling you over for dinner to announce to you they had a dream. And inadvertently to say, and you were in it inadvertently to say, and what you were doing was submitting yourself to me. You were bowing down to me. Now I know, as much as my two brothers love me, they would not meet with that information uh, very well. They already feel like they're bowing down to me. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Maybe they do. (laughs) 
That just makes, that, that just could stir a family up, could it not? Well, let's talk about Joseph's family for just a minute. Joseph had a family with issues. Now, I know this doesn't speak to anybody in this room, but families have issues. If your family has issues, just nod your head. I know you're afraid. Your husband's sitting next to you. Your, your parents are here in the room, etc. All families have issues. And Joseph's family, as much as we hold him up in Scripture to be such an example, and he is, he came from a family that had issues. Verse 1 talks about his father, Jacob. He lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And Jacob had a history. Jacob's name was Deceiver supplanter the scripture says it was not only his name but it was his nature joseph had a daddy that was a deceiver think about jacob and esau and what went on in that story and how that happened think about how esau's birthright was robbed through the deception of jacob jacob was a deceiver and then jacob has an encounter with god And when he has this encounter with God, as always happens, Jacob is changed. Remember, he leaves that encounter and he has a limp. He was struck in his thigh and he bore that evidence his whole life. And it impaired him to a degree, but it was also a great reminder, I met with God. This was the time I met with God. And as a result of that encounter with God, God changed his name And we see it in chapter 35, verse 10. God changes his name to Israel, prince with God. So Joseph had quite a dad. His dad also had quite a story when it came to his marriages. Do you remember the names Rachel and Leah? Do you remember the story how that Jacob met Rachel while she was drawing water at a well? And she was a looker. And Jacob turned and looked at her and said, oh, she, she's my wife. I want her as my wife. And so, as was the custom, he went to Laban, Rachel's father, and said, what can I do to have this daughter as my wife? And he said, work for me for seven years. Think about it, guys. Think about it, guys. I would really like to propose to this young woman. And I went to her father and he said, you need to come to work for me for seven years. And you know what? Jacob didn't say, no way, no how. He said, when do I start? And he began to work for Rachel. And if you know the story, he works for Rachel. The day has come. He he wants to take her as his wife. And instead of Rachel, Laban sends Leah in to lie with Jacob because Leah was the firstborn so Jacob has a wife it's not Rachel it's Leah wow man and there's Rachel still available and still desired and so what happens in the story we know Laban says if you want Rachel as well seven years Jacob goes, okay. So seven more years he works, and he has two wives. Think about it, men. 
two wives, sisters. And the story doesn't end there. The Lord sees fit to allow Rachel to be barren while Leah is having child after child after child. Male child after male child after male child. And if you look at the names of those men, you see the 12 tribes of Israel are assigned. These men are assigned these names. There's a future. There's a destiny. There's a direction here for the people of God. And yet, Rachel, the whole time, barren, can't have a child. Sees her sister, have another child, can't have a child. Sees her sister. Goes down to the maidservants. The maidservants bear children. Rachel does not. Until one day, the Lord sees fit to open her womb, and she gives birth to a son, and his name, her only son, Joseph. Now, I'm sure the other guys in the household weren't real crazy about this one. Why? Daddy's favorite? Mom's favorite. The youngest, may we say, spoiled? So here's Joseph. In this family, and I'm sure the family dynamics, as we will read here in just a minute, were explosive. Dynamic. In fact, the scripture says here in Genesis, there was hatred going on. There was this, there was this hatred, hatred among the brothers, the older for Joseph. Not only did Joseph have a family, not only did Joseph have a dream, but Joseph had some obstacles in his life. First of all, his family issues were an obstacle. Who he was, he was the youngest. What his father made of him. Not only the tunic or the coat of many colors that he fashioned for him, the other boys didn't have such colorful tunics, but he did, and it was just a constant visual reminder that he's special. He's favored. He's better. He's chosen. He's the blessed one in the family, and and we're not. And so Joseph had family issues, and he had hatred coming his way from his brother's. But you know what also, and we're going to see it here in the scripture, Joseph had his own issues too. This wasn't all about what his brothers did to him. This was also about things that Joseph had in his very heart. Look at verse 2 with me, if you will, the second half of verse 2. It says that he, Joseph, brought their father a bad report about them. And if you look back, who are the them? The sons of the handmaiden of Rachel and the sons of the handmaiden of Leah. Joseph had issues himself. He had things in his heart. Joseph was a tattler. Don't you just love tattlers? How many of you had a tattler in your household when you are growing up? How many of you were that person? Don't you just love tattlers? You know, there's something about tattlers. They're usually the younger kids in the family, more than the older, although there's sometimes they're the older ones as well. There's something about tattlers. Tattlers always get the facts right. He was doing this, Mom. She was doing that, Dad. The tattling, the information, the piece of of thing that they're telling is, is usually true. It's not the truth of what they're saying. It's the attitude 
with which they're saying it. It's that judgmental, punishing attitude that the tattler has. And you know what? Joseph had an issue with that when he was 17 years old. He, he loved to tattle on his brothers because he saw them probably doing things they shouldn't have been doing. And so he was anxious to report that. Something else that was an issue for Joseph is that he spoke about this dream. Now, this could be just because of his excitement that he had this dream. His immaturity that, I had this dream, I'm excited, and I should share it. Or maybe Joseph was a braggart. Maybe Joseph was self-centered. At any rate, when you're 17, and forgive me 17-year-olds, your judgment may not be exactly all that it needs to be. And that was probably true for Joseph. Here we see that this dream that Joseph was given was a God-given dream. These, these dreams were God-given. The way that we know that is in Genesis 45, 7 and 8, we see the culmination. We see the fulfillment. The dream not only happened in Joseph's mind and heart, but it actually took place. It actually came to fruition. That's the evidence of a God-given dream. But we also see here that Joseph is about to enter a detour. And the detour that he was to go on was also given from God. It was given from, for God, from God. Why detours in life? They seem to be a nuisance. They seem to be heading us in a direction that's really not what God intends. It's certainly not what we intend. When we look at our lives, and especially for those of you who are younger among us, when you look at your life and you think about my next step, my next step to college, my next step in, in marriage, my next step in career, and we begin to think about how that is going to play out, what that should look like, what do we want, what do we dream about. We have dreams of our own. But the most important thing about dreams is, is it a God-given dream? Is it something that God is going to catapult us toward? Joseph had that kind of a dream. But the detour that he was about to take and the detours that we have in our lives are not for naught. They are testing grounds. They are places where God wants to take us and develop us on the inside. You see, God is really interested about your destination in life. He's really interested about where your life is going. But I want to tell you this morning, he's more interested in who you're becoming than where you're going. And he cares about both of those. But he never wants you to get to a place in life that's further than what your character will sustain you in. And so God uses detours in order to work his character within us. He did so for Joseph, and he does this for us. How do we know? In verse 2, it says that Joseph had this attitude within his heart before the dream ever came. He had that tattling, judgmental, proud attitude within him before the dream ever was given. And so Joseph failed his first test. Let me tell you some good news about the way God tests us. I don't know about you, when I was in graduate school, I um, was going in for an exam, was ready for it, studied, knew the stuff, 
thought it wouldn't take very long, sat down, worked my way through, turned the page, worked my way through, turned the page, worked my way through, finished, looked around the classroom, nobody else was finished. And I thought, I know I'm not the smartest person in the class. Seems odd, but I am finished and signed my name at the top and handed it in and left. Came back the next day to pick up that test and sat down and there was a big F. You don't know how badly that just killed me. (laughs) What? You know, I'm a firstborn perfectionist. Those types of things can send you to the high-level bridge. I looked, scanned, that's my, I thought, oh, this is somebody else's test. (gasps) That's my name. Somebody else must have written my name on this. What? I looked at page one, no red ink. I looked at page two, no red ink. I looked at page three and page four and no red ink. And then I turned it over. And I forgot pages two, four, six, and eight. There was printing on the back side. Now in graduate school, all the whining, all the excuses, you know, the dog ate my homework, you know, I overslept, I didn't drink enough coffee this morning, all, all those kinds of excuses, they, you know, eh, not going to hold water. So, of course, I tried. <laughs> I went to the professor after class and talked with her and knew her quite well and da 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 and, and oh my goodness, and just let me come back in and there was no coming back in. It was an F. Ah! Let me just give you some good news today. Even if there's an F on your test with God, he doesn't flunk anyone. He just gives them another opportunity with another test. I think of the children of, of Israel going around Jericho. Remember? Seven times? You know, God works with us. He continues to help us. He continues if we've failed a test, if we've, if we've not succeeded in what he's asked us to do. In his grace, he puts his arm around and he says, let's go again. Let's try this again. Let me work with you again. Let me help you again. There are no flunk outs with God. There's just a continual grace to try again. In fact, Philippians 1, 6 tells us these things, being confident of, of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to what? To completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God's a good God. Notice who carries. He will carry it on. He's doing the work in you. And even if you mess up and even if you fail the test, guess what? The, the Event's not over. The life is not over. The journey's not over. There's not a place where I failed. It's over. I'm done. Forget it. Can't go, any, can't go on any longer. No, there's a God of mercy that says, come on, let's get up. Let's go on. Let's pass the test. What can we learn from the life of Joseph in this particular window this morning? First of all, The Lord has a dream. The Lord has something for you. Now, you may sit here this morning and say, you know what? 
I'm 75 years old. It's over. Take a deep breath. Let it out. If you can do that, you're alive. Right? You might be 75 or 85 or 90 years old. If you're drawing breath today, if you are walking and moving and living and existing on this planet Earth, God has something for you. He has a purpose. He has a reason. He has your days numbered. He knows exactly what he has in mind for you, whether you're 17 or 77 in the room today. God has a dream, a purpose, a reason for you And that reason is connected with his story and his glory. The reason is not for your personal self-gratification, your selfishness, your desires, the things you want to accomplish in life. God's dream and God's purpose had little to do in Joseph's story with Joseph's future, per se. It had everything to do with the story of God and the glory of God. God's dream and God's purpose for you has everything to do with the story of God and the glory of God. The second thing we can learn this morning is you can know this dream. Okay, Pastor Cindy, you say, there's a dream, there's a purpose, there's a reason. God's put his stamp on my life, his mark on my life. And if you know him as Savior, that stamp and that mark is on your life. He's called you. He's made you his own. He has a purpose, he has a dream, he has a destination for you in your life, and he wants you to know that dream. How in the world can you know that dream? Get in his presence, read his word, listen for his spirit. It is through that avenue that you'll know it. You won't know it through television, you won't know it through the internet, you won't know it through reading a good book, you only know it through his presence. The purpose God has for you will always come face-to-face with a test. Will always come face-to-face with a test. The test will come to get you ready for the destination. Because the purpose of God will never be bigger than the character that he's developing in you. If there's a destination and a calling and a purpose for you, and your character is not developed for that calling and that purpose, he won't take you there until you're ready. He won't bring you to that place until he's developed the character in you so that when you get to the place, just like we'll see in Joseph's story, the character, Mary is married to the destination. Also, One of the first tests, like we see with Joseph, that comes is the pride test. The pride test. How important is I? That's bad English, but it's good communication. How important is I? It's the pride test. God brings it not only first in our lives, but he brings it frequently in our lives. He wants to test our humility. He wants to test our heart. He wants to purify our hearts. He wants to eliminate and remove the pride. Why? You can't hear God with pride. 
you certainly won't obey God with pride. And finally, you won't glorify God with pride. We can pass the test of pride by learning some things from Joseph. Number one, don't brag about the dream. I wonder if Joseph, maybe when he was down in the pit, we'll talk about that next week, when he was down in the pit or maybe when he was in the, in the wagon heading off with the Midianites on, on the way to Egypt, wherever he was, I wonder how many times he thought, I should have never said anything. I should have kept it to myself. I should have known these guys would have done something like this to me. I know they've hated me most of my life, if not all of my life. And yet, in my immaturity or my braggadociousness, I have to just spit out the dream. And now here I am. It's a good reminder to us. What God does in our lives really happens because God does it in our life. It's not us. When God speaks to you, when God leads you, when God directs you, when God gives you an answer, when God blesses you, when God causes your ministry to thrive, don't brag. Don't brag. It wasn't you to begin with. Bury the eye. Bury the eye from your conversation and from your lifestyle. Put the eye away. Number two, we can learn from Joseph today. You can overcome pride by giving God your tongue. You can overcome pride by giving God your tongue. And I say giving God your tongue because in James chapter 3 we've learned no man can control the tongue. We can't control the tongue. So what's the remedy? What's the remedy to pride? It's to give God our speech, to give God the things that we say, to ask God to bridle our tongue and to take control of our tongue. Sometimes this means shut up. You said that from the pulpit? Yeah, I did. I'll step away from it. Shut up. Sometimes... Silence is the way to go. Not everything demands a word. Not everything has to be said. Not everything that we think or everything that we see or everything that we desire or even everything that we know about God needs to be said. Sometimes silence is best. Number three, we can learn from Joseph Overcome pride by finding your security and identity in Christ. Pride is all about I, I, I am, I think, I want, I do. It's me. It's all about me. That's what I think. This is what I want. I, I, I. Where is that rooted? That's really rooted in insecurity and fear. It's really rooted in insecurity and fear. The best way to pass the pride test is to say, 
My identity is not in myself. My identity is in Christ. My security is in him. And I don't have to struggle. And I don't have to fight. And I don't have to debate. And I don't have to speak up. And I don't have to preserve myself and protect myself and defend myself. My defense is in Christ. My identity is in him. My security is in him. That's all that matters. And when you put your identity in Christ and your security in Christ, I was buried. And fourth, and finally this morning before we close, how else can we pass the test of pride? And again, I want to remind us, it's not a test that you pass one time. It's kind of like math in school. How many of you had math in first grade? I hope everybody would raise their hand on that. How many of you had math in second grade? Well, why did you have it in second? Didn't you get it in first? And third and fourth and on we go. Math is a subject you will have throughout your entire school life. And why? Because there's more to learn. There's more sophisticated principles. It goes to a higher level. And so it is with the test of pride. It'll start when you're young, my friends, in middle school and high school. And the test of pride will come. The test to look good, to be good, to, be, to have a lot of friends, to have influence, to, 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 to have a certain standing in your class, to, to be recognized, to make a name for yourself. That, that pride test will come for you when you're, before you graduate from high school. But then when you get to college, it'll just take on a different look. When you get to be a young adult, it'll be about what type of a career can I enter in? What kind of status can I have? Can I make the boss happy with me? Can I do what he asks? Can I advance myself? Can I get from that one earning level to the next earning level? And then when you get into your middle years, it's, it's am I secure in my career? Uh, is it, am I earning all that I can earn? Can I, can I fund my 401k? Can I, can I establish myself? And so my friends, at every age, the pride test will be introduced to us over and over and over again. But the fourth point I want to leave with you this morning is, this is the best way to overcome pride. The best. You might put a star next to it if you're taking notes. Two stars. Happy face, an A+, whatever you want to put there. The best way to overcome pride is by going into the presence of a holy God perspective. When the eye gets so big and you take the eye and you bring the eye into the presence of a holy God in your prayer time, in your prayer closet, and you bow down and you spend time with the Lord and you look at him and you look at how perfect and holy and righteous and good, strong and eternal that he is, The I shrinks down. Because who is I? Remember Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 6. And in the the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, and he was high and lifted up. And I saw that I was a man of unclean lips. I lived among people with unclean lips. What happened? Pride was brought low 
eradicated, destroyed in the presence of a holy God. We can pass the pride test by spending time with God, seeing who he is and who we're not. If you walk into your prayer closet in the morning and meet with God, it's very difficult to come out of that meeting with pride. With pride. As we close, just as with Joseph, and we're going to continue his story next week, just as with Joseph, I want to remind you today, and maybe more for the older folks among us here this morning, you're just kind of waiting for life to to kind of go by. You're kind of waiting for the Lord to come, and you're just looking for your heavenly home. You know what? We all need to do that. We all need to do that. But even for those of you that have passed a certain age in life, God has a dream, a purpose, and a destiny for you. He still does. You can find it by spending time with him, by seeking him, by asking him, Lord, would you show me what you have for me? I have life. I have breath. I have strength. I have intellect. I have desire. I have love. I have heart. I have experience. I have wisdom you've given me. There's stuff in me. Why? What's it for? Who's it for? What should I be doing? You have a purpose for me. Show me what it is. Help me to see it. Help me to find it. Help me to live in it. In that dream and in that purpose, remember, God will, depending on your theology, bring or allow detours. He will, he will bring and allow detours. How many of you have ever been on a detour in life? Yeah, you didn't marry who you thought you'd marry. You didn't stay healthy as long as you thought you'd stay healthy. You didn't think you'd lose that loved one as soon as you lost that loved one. You didn't think, you didn't think, you didn't think. Detour. Detour sign. The arrow is there. The orange sign is looming in front of you. And instead of saying, and this is our tendency, doggone that stupid detour. I don't have time for this detour. I don't have time to go in the wrong direction to try to get to the right direction. God, you messed up. You were looking away, and now there's this turn in my life, and if you would have been paying attention, we could have stayed on Route 13 through Mansfield. We could have stayed on this destination and journey that I had thought we were going to be on. I had it all planned out in my mind. And now, God, you've allowed or you've caused this detour. Let me just tell you, the God who drew the original map wrote in the detour. God's not going, oh, man, you're right. Boy, I messed up. A detour? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, please forgive me. I was looking at somebody else's life and forgot about yours. No. God says, here's the journey. I've got a detour that I'm going to do something in your life in that detour that you'll never, ever expect. I wonder how many times Joseph, sitting on the throne in Genesis chapter 50, when he was dealing with his brothers, and that's a wonderful piece of the story that we'll get to, look back at the detours and the tests and went, wow, I get it. Wow, God, 
I was so miserable sometimes in those detours, but you were there all along. You made me into someone I thought I would never be. You developed character in me that I would have never gotten any other way. I wonder if he sat there and on certain days said, Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God, for what you did in me to build my character up to my destination. For what he did in Joseph's life, he's doing in mine, and he's doing in yours. Let's pray. As we pray this morning, maybe you're saying, yeah, Pastor Cindy, I feel like I'm, I'm on a detour. I feel like I'm heading in a direction that it just isn't making sense to me. This has just interrupted everything that I had planned and everything that I had wanted. And I've even been tempted to think, this is of Satan, or this is something God has no hand in. I want to tell you this morning, God has his hand in the detour. He's there. He's on the road with you. He wants you to recognize him there. He wants you to look onto that detour and see him guiding you, protecting you, building character in you, asking you to come to him in the middle of the days that you don't understand. He's doing something on the detour. Just like he did in Joseph's life, he's doing it for you. I want to encourage you today. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. The Lord is the creator and the companion of the detours. Recognize him there and praise him for being there with you. He's got good things in store. He's doing things within you that you can't even recognize yet. But he's at work. He never, ever wants you to fail the test. He wants to keep working with you. Father, we thank you today that you are the God of Jacob. You are the God of Joseph. And you are our God. And what you have done for Joseph in giving him a dream and helping him to walk in that journey and even to have his character developed in the middle of that journey, Lord, you want to do the same thing for us. Same thing for us. And you are. And you are. I pray, Father, that, Lord, we would pass the test of pride by putting ourselves in that prayer closet with you and looking at you. And, Lord, may, Lord, our journey and our story be about your story and about your glory and not our own. So, Father, I just pray over this congregation today. May we walk humbly before you to listen, to obey, and to glorify you. For, Lord, we're on a wonderful journey with a destination in mind, a purpose in mind, a dream in mind. You are leading us to that place. You are leading us. You are growing us so that our character will sustain us in that place. May we cooperate with you and look for you on the journey. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.